Okay, so this evening we're going to welcome Tim Grant, who's going to share on kingdom principles and how to live by faith and live like we're in the kingdom but not live in the world. And I had the privilege of reading his latest book, um, which was so inspiring. It's, it's like a discipleship program in itself. But this evening, Tim's going to share on some of those principles that he and Kim have lived by in their life, because I know their story. They've, they've lived constantly by faith for provision, for healing, to see you know souls saved. There's been lots and lots of testimonies he could share. But this evening, we want to hear about you know the underpinning principles that he lives by. So thanks, Tim. Over to you. We look forward to hearing from you. Well, it's great to be with you on, and nice to hear from you. You know, ever since I became a Christian, I've been intrigued and challenged by what Jesus said that his disciples, his followers were able to do in his name. I've also been disturbed by the credibility gap in my life between what I believe and what I see happening and what it seems to me as the church is seeking to make uh, where they seem to make God's word fit their experience rather than making our experience fit what God's word says. You know, uh, when the disciples failed to deliver the demonized boy, they came to Jesus privately and asked him why that was. And he gave them some insights so that they could grow in their faith and so they could succeed next time. And I think it's really important that we don't seek to make God's word fit our experience, but rather we make our experience fit God's word. I'm constantly challenged by what seem to me to be foundational principles of the kingdom of God. When Jesus taught us to pray, he encouraged us to pray in Matthew 6 verse 10, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're called to pray that God's kingdom will come on earth just as it is in heaven. I believe for that to happen, we need to understand the nature of God's kingdom and that it's set up on very different principles to the kingdoms of this world. Understanding the principles of the kingdom of God and applying them in our lives, I believe, releases us to be everything that God intended us to be. And it enables us to demonstrate and see his kingdom established here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Throughout Jesus's ministry, he taught and exampled the principles of the, that the kingdom is founded upon. In fact, he mentions the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven over a hundred times in his teachings, more times than he ever mentions church. These principles that the kingdom set up on are dramatically different to the principles and the systems that this world values and promotes. You know, in these times when everything that can be shaken is being shaken, governments, organizations, companies, and people have found the principles and systems that they're founded on are inherently flawed. But the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God is an unshakable kingdom. In God's kingdom, value is placed in people, 
and not in things. In his kingdom, there are no rejected, lonely, lost, because everybody matters to God. In God's kingdom, it's a place of safety where the fearful can run and take refuge, the Bible tells us. In his kingdom, if you want to live, you've got to die. In his kingdom, if you want to receive, then you need to give. And that's because there's more blessing in giving than receiving. And that's not just money. We often focus on money, but we can give in all sorts of ways, including of ourselves. In his kingdom, if you want to become great, then you need to humble yourself and serve. The kingdom of this kingdom that we're part of has an eternal perspective. You know, the nations and the empires of this world will rise and fall. But his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It will never fade away. And even now, he's preparing a place for those of us who believe to live with him for eternity. In God's kingdom, sickness is defeated because his son paid the price that we might be healed. Isaiah declared in Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we are healed. So when God's kingdom touches this world, then things can change in amazing ways. Because in his kingdom, a little boy's lunch can feed 5,000 men plus women and children and have 12 basketfuls left over because his kingdom is a kingdom of an abundance. In his kingdom, water can become wine and fish can be commanded to fill your nets. Storms can be calmed just at a word. And those who are tormented can be instantly set free and left in their right mind. Blind eyes can be opened and deaf ears can hear and withered limbs are made whole. You know, we've seen these things happen. This is what God's kingdom is about. The dead can be raised back to life and you can even walk on water. You know, I often jest with people. That's the one thing I'd like to do before I go to glory is to just walk on water, just to prove that the Bible is right and everyone else is wrong. You know, these are the norm in God's kingdom, because the kingdom that we became part of is not limited to the natural principles of this world. It's a supernatural kingdom. And these are just a few of the ways that Jesus demonstrated his kingdom while he was here on earth and every miracle he did he did not as the son of god but as a man just like you and me but a man who was fully yielded to god this is the kingdom we are called to pray will come on earth as it is in heaven but I want to suggest to you that we're called to do more than just pray for it to come. The disciples of Jesus were called to follow Jesus's example and to continue to demonstrate to the world around us that his kingdom is at hand. You know, I love the way that Bill Johnson puts it when he says we're not called to represent God's kingdom here on earth. We are to represent, sorry, we are called to represent 
God's kingdom here on earth. When Jesus sent out the 12 and the 70, he commanded them to proclaim that his kingdom was at hand. That means it's so close that we can reach out and grasp it, that anyone could reach out and grasp it for themselves. But Jesus didn't stop there. He continued by saying to them that they should not just declare that his kingdom is at hand, but they should demonstrate that fact by healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, casting out demons. When we became Christians, we became representers of God's kingdom here on earth. And we are part of the answer to that prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it in, is in heaven. Imagine for a moment how different the course of this pandemic might have been if we were truly representing God's kingdom here on earth. Now, we've all been locked up and locked down because of fear that we might be infected by or we might infect others with this virus. But the Bible says fear doesn't have a place in God's kingdom because perfect love casts out fear. And we are loved by a God who loves us with a perfect love. He's our heavenly father. He loves every one of you. Now, I'm not encouraging you to be unwise or to break the law. We thank God for our medical profession. And Kim and I have already had our first vaccine. But let's not make wisdom an excuse for not being all that we're meant to be. Now, things, I don't think things are so different now to biblical times. People were often ruled by fear, just as we can be now. Lepers were cast out of society and quarantined away into communities, away from the healthy. They even had to ring a bell and declare they were unclean when traveling because people lived in fear that if they came into contact with them, they might be infected by them. Yet Jesus commanded his followers to lay their hands on the sick and to cleanse the lepers, demonstrating the difference between his kingdom and the kingdoms of this world. In this world, if you touch the infected, you risk being infected. In God's kingdom, if you touch the infected, they get healed. John G. Lake, one of the great evangelists of the early 20th, 20th century, a man who some people think was flawed in many ways, just like many of us are, stopped an outbreak of the bubonic plague in Africa when his team started laying hands on those who were infected and every one of them were healed. And afterwards, when the doctors asked how he had done it, he said, we have the life of God in us and every virus that comes into contact with us dies. And they laughed at him. And he, so he said to them, put the live bubonic plague bacteria on my hand and I will put my hand under a microscope and you can watch as it dies. And when they did it, that's exactly what happened. The bacteria died. 
Now, that's God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Jesus exampled this whenever he met the sick. He demonstrated that his kingdom was at hand because in his kingdom there is no sickness. And he healed everyone he met who was sick, and he commanded his disciples to do the same. In God's kingdom, we have been given authority. And that authority goes beyond just healing the sick. As ambassadors of God's kingdom, we have the authority to speak to mountains in our lives and storms that rage around us and command them to be removed or to be calm. Now, for me, the trouble is all too often we demonstrate like the disciples that we've not developed our faith to the place where we might have done because we still ask God to fix our problems rather than using the authority that he's given us to do it ourselves. Now, you might think I'm being hard. Let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 8, and I want to read you verses 20 through to 25. And it says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep and a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped. And they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up. And he rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? That he even commands the wind and the water, and they obey him. Now, for me, this is an interesting question Jesus asked the disciples. Where is your faith? Another translation says, why is your faith so small? A lack of faith or small faith means you end up asking God to fix problems that he gave you the authority to fix. Clearly, Jesus expected his disciples to have dealt with this storm themselves. Now, to do that, we need to develop our faith to a place where we know we <clears throat> we have the authority and carry within us the answer to whatever storms are raging around us. Great faith means you understand authority and have the ability to calm your own storms. The Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. 1 John 4, 4. Understanding and seeking to be submitted to the authorities that God's placed in our lives, I believe is a foundational principle of the kingdom of God. And it releases within us great faith. When Jesus spoke with the centurion, the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant would be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers unto me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, 
Truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Clearly, understanding and submitting to authority released great faith in this man. So no matter what storms rage around us, we can know the peace of God that passes all understanding and be, as it were, asleep in the back of the boat while everyone else around us is panicking. Now, you might be asking, well, how's that possible? Well, it's possible because you know what God has said and you're exercising your faith with confidence that will, he will enable you to fulfill his word. You know, Jesus could sleep in the storm because he only did those things that the father told him to do. And he knew what God had said. He declared it to the disciples when they got into the boat. He said to them, let us go to the other side. So confident in what God had told him to do, he's asleep in the storm. Putting our trust in and living by God's word, I believe, is a foundational principle of the kingdom of God. And we cannot afford to seek to make God's word fit our experience. We need to make our experiences fit God's word. The closer our lives reflect the word of God, what it teaches and what it examples to us, the more of the abundant life will be ours. I want to encourage you not to be tempted to travel through this life without Christ on board. Keep close to him. Follow his examples closely. Don't try to make him fit your experiences or be tempted to leave him behind. And, and you know, I know that's so easy to do in the busyness of life. Christ can get left behind somewhere, especially when you're under pressure. You know, Mary and Joseph left the Son of God behind in Jerusalem once. So if they did, how much easier is it for us? Let's make our experiences come into line with his word. Now, you would think the disciples would have learned their lesson. Yet later in Mark's gospel, we see them get into another boat. Now, I personally think that Jesus was setting them up to see if they've learned from the learned the lesson that he's been trying to teach them. We're told that he makes them get in the boat and leave him behind. Mark chapter six, and I'm going to read from verse 45 through to verse 52. He tells us immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that he was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, 
and the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were calloused or hardened, another translation says. When God's kingdom is manifest in any situation, things change. It becomes easier to progress. Jesus just getting into the boat caused the situation to change. Now I want you to see the disciples have still not learned the lessons. Their faith's not grown. They still need Jesus to deal with this adverse situation that they found themselves in. But Mark gives us an insight as to why they've not learned the lesson. He tells us it was because their hearts were calloused, or as another translation puts it, hardened. And because of this, they had not learned the lessons from the feeding of the 5,000, which would have helped them in this situation. The Bible tells us that sin causes our hearts to be hardened and calloused which stops us learning what we need to know to be everything that God intends us to be. I had a friend many years ago who was learning the sitar. That's like an Indian instrument. It's a bit like a guitar, but has much sharper metal strings. Now, every time he played, his fingers would bleed. And his teacher told him to take a metal plate and put it over a heat until the plate was really hot and then just tap his fingers on the plate. And as he did this daily, his fingers became calloused and hardened and he could play the sitar without them cutting and bleeding. That's what sin does to our hearts. That hardness we need to recognize stops us learning what we need to know to be everything that God intends us to be. So what might they have learned from the feeding of the 5,000? Well, I believe some of the lessons they could have learned is that in God's kingdom, you don't just see the problem, but that you recognize as a disciple of the living God, you are part of the answer. You look to what you have instead of focusing on what you don't have. You're thankful for what God has given you and you give him praise for it. You recognize the potential of what you've been given. You know, every gift from God has the potential to grow. And you use what you have and trust God will increase it when it's necessary. And finally, you expect great things from God. You know, a few years ago, God told me to expect great things from him and be prepared to do great things for him. You know, Jesus expected that God was going to do a miracle because he sat the people down in groups ready to receive food to eat. You know, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. The same spirit that moved on God's word in Genesis that caused this world to come into being. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Now that means we have huge potential locked within us to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, some years ago I had a vision and God showed me a vision of myself. And inside of me, I saw this little man locked up in a prison. And I said, what's going on, Lord? And God said to me, 
that's the Holy Spirit that I put in you, but you've locked him up and locked him down so that he can't do anything. He said, you need to take the chains off and trust me and expect that I can do great things in you and through you. If we would but learn the lessons God's seeking to teach us and move beyond the limits of this world's systems, we will see his kingdom come and his will done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to notice from these accounts of the disciples on the sea, when faith is small, it opens the door for fear to enter in. And we all know fear and faith are opposites. When you're moving out in faith, the devil will always seek to sow fear in you because he knows it undermines your faith. We see that when Peter got out of the boat and starts to walk on the water. We're told in Matthew's gospel, verses chapter 14, verses 30 and 31, seeing the wind, Peter became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter was walking on the water. He's doing the impossible in the natural. He's literally stepped beyond the natural into the supernatural. And the devil draws his attention to the wind. And at this point, his natural mind clicks back in. He's a fisherman. He knows about the wind and the waves, and he becomes frightened and starts to sink. Moving out in faith requires us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and what he said. You know, I want to encourage you, don't allow the devil to distract you. So you start to look to the natural wisdom because that's the road to fear. And fear will always seek to undermine your faith. And we don't need to be fearful because we have a heavenly father who loves us. You know, I had a situation in my own life just recently where I became quite fearful and I allowed for a few hours for fear to rule in my life. And then suddenly I realized, hey, I've got to stop this. What did God say? And I reminded myself of the things that God said. And as I did that, faith started to grow. Now, I believe if we understand these five foundational principles that we are loved by God with a perfect love, that we should be motivated to minister in that and by that love. Secondly, that understanding authority and seeking to submit to those authorities God's placed in our lives releases great faith in us. Thirdly, that the faith we have has huge potential to grow and achieve great things. Fourthly, that God's word brings hope and feeds our faith. It's the sustenance our faith needs to grow. And that messing around with sin hardens your heart and stops you learning all you need to know to be everything that God intends you to be. Knowing and understanding these principles and applying them in your life means that we will become the answer to that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I wholeheartedly believe that we are meant to bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And we 
need to stop seeking to make God's word fit our experience and start to seek to make our lives fit God's word. Amen. I'm going to hand back to Chris and John now. Amen. Amen. Wow. Thank you, Tim. Very challenging. So I'm going to open it up to everyone now. David? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll go. Tim, thank you so much. That felt like a rich, just a rich fountain coming out of you, actually. And I, I feel like I, I deal with evangelists all day, every day. Um, and, and I just want to honour you, just kind of the purity of what was coming out. It was from a place of just humility and yet an authority that you've obviously gained, that you obviously have, that you're not striving to achieve. So just thank you on behalf of everyone. Thank you for bringing that. But I, yeah, it's rich. And, you know, I think for me, I, I made some notes actually off of kind of what you sent, sent over, but you've covered most of what I actually kind of got from that. But I think the key word I keep hearing in my spirit as you're sharing is identity. Jesus was a son who knew what his father was doing and went about his business. And I feel for us here now, we are as, as Christians, as many Christ likes, you know, what, what you shared, the, the, the expression of the kingdom, that is good news. And it is simply the gospel is a, a proclamation, a herald of this is good news. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and, you know, I think we those, you know, there is only one name by which man may be saved. And that is Jesus Christ. And as we proclaim his lordship and his authority. But it's more than that. I think it's as we walk in delegated authority as we walk as ambassadors knowing the mission you know i love the the vienna convention the ambassador uh, the, who is sent by a particular nation in their host nation the job of the ambassador is is to outwork and proclaim the mission the vision of the sending nation uh, and when we know that actually our destination is heaven Yes, we're, we're earthly beings, we're heavenly beings having an earthly experience. And, and everywhere I go, I get to release the kingdom of heaven. But it, the issue is identity, is knowing that we are his, knowing that we're loved, knowing that we're not working for love, but working from love. And I think, you know, Paul says that we have this ministry of reconciliation. And I think that as even in our, our normal lives, as we, gosh, as we see family restoration take place as we see forgiveness as we see what almost the mundane things but actually the values of heaven it's like the kingdom of heaven is at hand and, and we get to be those ones that that administer the values of this kingdom and we get to outwork it and so you know i i think god you see in Moses's life, God rarely brings solutions to problems outside of people. God did not need Moses to let his people go. He could have done it with his little finger, Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh would have. God chose to outwork that through Moses. And I think that's for us as we are in right relationship with the Father, as we understand the delegated authority that we have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you, lives inside of me. You carry resurrection power with you wherever you go. And so you get to bring, you get to speak 
freedom, hope, life to those around you. And so I think for me, just to its identity, Jesus was a son and he was in right relationship with his father and he knew the authority of his father. And that's how we get to operate now. Mm. Very good. Very good, David. Thank mm. you. Mm. Very good. I think that's an important point, this whole understanding authority. Yeah, but I, I, for me, I think the measure to which we are willing to submit to authorities is directly related to the measure in which we will have authority. I think that's what the centurion tells us. Yeah. So what, what would that mean, Tim, in, you know, in our lives? I mean, we, a lot of us come from a background of, let's call it heavy shepherding, um, and perhaps had a wrong understanding of authority. So what does it mean to actually be under authority on earth? Mm. Well, for me, I mean, I've experienced some of that myself. And for me, being under authority doesn't mean you can't question authority, but it means ultimately you choose to submit to that authority. You know, uh, people often say to me, well, I can't submit to this or I can't submit to that. But And I'm always reminded of those people in Nepal uh, who become Christians, and it's against the law to change your faith. But the government recognise they've changed their faith when they're baptised. So they do their baptismal services at the river and they walk down into the river in full view of everyone and they are baptised. And the police stand on the other side of the river from where they walked in and they walk out the other side and submit to the authority and are arrested and put in prison for changing their faith. Wow. So they have submitted to God's authority in doing what he said, but they've also submitted to the, the authority that God has placed in this world that is unjustly treating them, but they go to prison because of it. So, and, and I think, you know, even, you know, I was driving down the road one day and God said to me, you're going too fast. I said, oh, I'm in a hurry. And he said, this is a 30 mile an hour limit. And I, and I said, but yes, they won't. there's no one around, Lord. He said, slow down. And I slowed down to 30 miles an hour. Within seconds, a car came out of a side turning, drove across the road in front of me, hit a car coming the other way, which took off and went over my car and landed on the vehicle behind me. And I'm sitting in the middle of this carnage. There are cars all around me completely written off and my car's completely undamaged. And God said, see, if you submit to what I tell you, I'll save you from all sorts of things, you know. And that day, I recognized very really how, you know, submitting just to something as simple as uh, the speed limit could save my life. Another occasion, um, some of you who've been on our healing school will have heard this, but got to, we were at a conference and a lady, housekeeping lady, came in at the end of the conference and she said to the folks, she said, said to us all, uh, guys, in the morning, can you, when you get leave your rooms, can you fold your sheets and leave them outside the room folded up? Now, I'm not a modern man in any way, shape or form. Kim will tell you that. And I thought, this woman is just stupid. Why does she want us to fold our sheets? Somebody else is going to have to unfold them to put them in the washing machine. She's just making work. You know, she's a job's worth. And in the morning, I just dumped my sheets outside the room and left them in a pile. I'm in the meeting and God says to me, see, you can't eat. You're a rebel. You can't even submit to the housekeeping lady. And at that moment, I thought, 
oh god i'm rebelling against god because he's given her that authority and i ran back to my room praying all the way that my sheets wouldn't have been taken away now when i got there praise god they were still in this pile and i picked them up and i folded them because and i took a long time because i'm not used to doing that and i folded them because i'm now folding them for god and i went back to the room and i'd missed most of the first session because of it, because my room was right out on the edges of the conference center. And I thought, what was that all about, God? Two weeks later, I'm stood with a lady who has terminal cancer. She's got lung cancer. And I'm praying for her. And God says to me, what are you doing? And I said, I'm praying, Lord. He said, why? I said, well, that's what we do. He said, well, I want you to give her a new pair of lungs. And because you folded your sheets, I will allow you to reach into heaven and take a pair of lungs from heaven and give her a new pair of lungs. And I spoke on God's kingdom is at hand. So I said to this lady, in God's kingdom, there's a new pair of lungs for you. And I'm just going to reach over here. And I put out my hand. And I said, here they are. And she looked at me. She wasn't a believer. She looked at me as if I was a complete fruit loop. And I said, have a new pair of lungs. And when we closed the meeting, she ran out the door and left very quickly. Two weeks later, I get a phone call and it's this lady and she said to me, that evening, I thought you were a complete nutcase. She said, I've just been for a targeted scan on my lungs to see how they're going to treat this cancer. They had discovered when they did a full body scan, she had tumors in her lungs to see how they were going to treat the tumors in her lungs. And she said to me, the doctor, the consultant said, uh, this is very strange. She said, what's up? He said, well, we can't find any cancer in your lungs. And she said, then he said something that may, reminded me of what you said. She said, then he said, it doesn't even look like you have the same lungs. They're a different shape. And she said, I realized when you said God was going to give me a new pair of lungs that day he did because I folded the sheets. Yeah. And I believe the measure to which we submit to authority Wherever we find that will be the measure to which we can move in authority. Mm, very good. Very good. I'm struck by what you said, um, Tim, about this, our hearts are callous and hardened. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we, we don't do the things that we should be doing in the kingdom. How, how do we not have calloused and hardened hearts if we <laughs> believe that we've, we've not sinned? <laughs> or I'm not sinned, but I mean being forgiven at the cross. Have you got an answer to that, my dear? Well, yeah, I'm always challenged when my husband, you know, talks about sin. And, of course, but we understand. <laughs> We understand that, but you know, as as Christians, if we're living and keeping short accounts with God, I kind of think, well, you know, I'm not knowingly sinning, and Lord, I, you know, anything you bring to my attention, I'm dealing with, and um, so it's almost like, ooh, how can my heart, you know, be be calloused? How can my, uh, you know, how can I be hardened like that? But I believe that everything that we do, especially in the area of ministering and healing, has to be motivated by the compassion of Jesus and I think you know I am but an earthly person and I don't know about you but you know 
experts will tell you, won't you? There's only so many um, adverts for um, for starving children in Africa that they'll put on the telly because we become hardened to it. And we think, how can you become hardened to seeing a starving child? But actually, when it's constantly presented to you, you do. And I think the thing for me, the key is in all this, we have to remember that everything we do is motivated by the compassion of Jesus. And he was the most compassionate man who walked this earth. And every uh, part of the human experience touched his heart, which was why he could reach out and minister to people in, in such reality and in, in, such, in his perfection. But in his perfection, that was motivated by compassion. And I think, you know, as for me personally, you know, this kind of thing about my heart being hardened or calloused, assuming there is no known sin that, you know, I'm refusing to, to deal with. For me, it's just, you know, God, give me your heart. Let my heart be soft like yours. Let my heart be a heart of compassion, because out of that, I will be able to move in the very spirit that you moved out. Of. And that, so that when I pray for the sick, when I minister to people who are hurt and lost, when I pray for provision for those who don't have enough, it's that compassion that motivates mm. me and will bring something of your spirit and power and the dynamism of the Holy Spirit to bear in those situations. So, um, well, that, that, that's how I see it. I hope mm. that might be helpful to some. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think for many years... I treated the gifts of the spirit and functioning in them as, you know, I, you know, I used to like Western movies and I used to think about them as a notch on the, the hand grip of my, my gun, you know, like the Western, you know, how many people they'd shot, you know, I've done this, I've seen miracles, I've seen this, I've seen that. And, I've, and there was no compassion. It was just about, and no love in it. It was just about functioning. And, you know, I, for me, I realized that in my life, that was a sin because I was motivated by the wrong thing. And that, that was, you know, I was seeking to be the big man rather than to be God to that, those people that I were meeting. And so I think, you know, it's, you know, when my friend used to touch the plate, he just, you know, he thought, you know, you'd think just touching it and putting your fingers away would have no effect. And so often we think, you know, we can dabble with sin. You know, I got angry the other day with somebody, you know, and, uh, you know, you think, oh, well, I can apologize. But, you know, I had to go back to God and say, look, God, I'm sorry. You know, I need help in that area of my life because, you know, when I'm under pressure, that's what came out rather than something that you would have wanted to come out. And I think it's keeping short accounts, you know, and, all, you know, none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. That's what I said about John G. Like, you know, people will criticize these great men and women of God that went before us. And in hindsight, it's very easy to look at their lives and pull them to pieces. But because they were, you know, frail failures, and we all are. But we need to be people that recognize that, and I'm sure they did, and that uh, in recognizing that, recognizing that those things are hindering us in, what, in our, our progression to be everything that God intended us to be. And Kim will tell you, I thought she might was going to tell you then, but I, I'm far from perfect, you know. <laughs> you, know you, you come and live in our house and you'll find that out, you know. But, uh, yeah. Thank you. I'm going to be very brave on this because this is something that I was thinking of this morning um, and I haven't really formulated it through. But... You've talked about releasing the kingdom and applying the kingdom and brokering the kingdom. Um, 
And then if you take the Bible verses as greater um, is he that's, it, that's within you and Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the fact that Jesus is the king of the kingdom, but the kingdom is actually owned by God. What do you think about the aspect of there's an, there's an aspect is, is that we are the kingdom as well. So you were releasing the kingdom by who we are. And I ident like David, they've talked about our identity. So it talks about the kingdom being righteousness, peace and love. Mm -hmm. We release or we are love. You know, when somebody comes in a room and you can see the identity that's in them and you think this is a person who is love, who is just emanating it or peace. What do you think about the aspect of the fact that we are the kingdom? Well, I, I think that's, you know, we pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. This it's the first bit of earth that has to come in. <laughs> you know, we are men and women who were made of earth. You know, God took the earth of the ground and formed us and then breathed life. And so the first place the kingdom comes has to be in this piece of earth that we each individually manage. So, yeah, does that answer your question? So It, it adds another aspect. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah no I, I think it, the first place if God rule, comes in our lives then the overflow around us is what you see you know that person who walks into a room that is just is love personified you know uh, you don't get that when I walk into a room but uh, <laughs> you know but uh, you might get challenged in a different way but uh, yeah um, yeah I think that is the kingdom overflowing in people's lives. You know, somebody once said of me, you know, if you meet Tim, you won't be comfortable, but, you know, he, he'll challenge you. And I think that's probably my gift, you know, to challenge. And I'm, I'm looking to, I'm challenging myself continually. That's why we invited you, Tim. Yeah. We like a bit of challenge. We do. So time's going on. Anybody else would like to comment or ask a question? Yeah, you spoke earlier, Tim, about things that hinder us and stop us living in God's fullness. What do you think is the biggest hindrance that we, we face? Is it fear, do you think? Is that is that the, the key one? Certainly that is a key one. Yeah, I think it, it's certainly been a key thing in my life because the first thing I think that we is lack of relationship yeah. with, with the Lord. You know, we, we, mm. we need to develop our relationship. And, and I find that... Yeah. Even now, my relationship with the Lord is sometimes totally inadequate for what I want to and want to see. But because of that, that opens the door for fear. Yeah, yeah. And fear, you know, the devil will always whisper in your ear fearful mm. statements. You know, um, I remember we were in Bulgaria and um, I was preaching to 1,500 gypsies in our tent. And... Mm. Uh, a fight took place, started to take place outside the tent, and 1,400 people left the tent to watch the fight. Well, I want to tell you, when you're preaching and 1,400 people leave your meeting, you know, <laughs> th there's a measure of insecurity and fear that comes up. And so I am feeling incredibly vulnerable and incredibly, actually quite fearful. And God says to me, well, if you pray for the lady that's blind in one eye, I'll heal her and everyone will come back in. 
Well, the guy who we were working with, I said to him, oh, well, there's somebody here who's blind in one eye and we need to pray. Oh, don't give me that nonsense. Then. Let's just get the worship band back up and they'll hear the music. If we make a louder noise than them, everyone will come back in. I said, no, I think we need to pray for this lady. He said, you don't even know there is a lady here who's blind in one eye. So I said, well, let's just ask. So I asked and uh, I looked around. Well, 37 of the 100 people left in the tent were my team. And I knew none of them were blind in one eye. So that limited it. And I could see most of the others. And there was no one that looked like they were blind in one eye. But this lady stood up and she was hidden behind one of my team. And she came down the front and her eye, one eye, had a beautiful pupil and iris. And the other eye was just white. No pupil, no iris. And she was completely blind in this eye. And I started to pray for her. And God said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm praying, God. He said, put your hand over the eye. So I said, okay. So I put my hand over the eye. I said, what do I do now? He said, tell her she's healed. So I said, you are healed in Jesus' name. And then God, I said to God, what do I do now? He said, take your hand away. I said, it can't be that easy. He said, you won't know until you do. Yes. And I'm standing there having this conversation with God. And I said, but what happens? I'll look really silly if it doesn't happen, Lord. And there was all those fear and everything that and God said, you look really silly having this conversation to me and not taking your hand away. So I took my hand away and to my amazement, she had an iris and a pupil and screamed, I can see. Wow. And the 1,400 people ran back in the tent, plus the others that were watching the fight outside, and I carried on preaching. And <laughs> God, God is good. And, and the devil will always try and sow fear in our lives, but... Yeah. We, we have to trust what he said and do what he tells us. And that, I want to tell you, it's not a comfortable journey. The journey, if you are living a comfortable life, I would suggest you're not living a faith-filled life. Because mm-hmm. I know sometimes I say to God, I just want to have a comfortable life. <laughs> I'm not listening. Please don't talk. Because <laughs> the faith journey is an uncomfortable one. Mm. Yes, well, it is for me. If you find it's not for you, then you know, please tell me the secret, (laughs) David. Yeah, Tim. I mean, listening to you tonight, I think you've given us a lot of faith. I have to say, you've you're over overflowing with faith, and it's been wonderful. But there's one thing that always mystifies me: that Jesus used to say to his disciples, "Oh, ye of little faith." And then he says, ah, oh, but all you need is faith as big as a mustard seed and you can move a mountain. Have you any thoughts about that? It seems to be a, a mismatch somehow. Yeah, it's one of the things we teach on. I actually think it's a lot of people have a misunderstanding of that scripture. Um, for me, he says, if you have faith as. Now, that's a little word that he's put in there, as a mustard seed. And actually, they have that conversation in response. Jesus is responding to a question they've asked. And the question is, Lord, increase our faith. And so Jesus says, if you have, having been asked that question, he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, be taken up, or this mulberry tree in another gospel, be taken up and cast into the sea. Now, what he's he's not telling them what the minimum faith is that they can get away with they didn't ask what the minimum was that they could get away with they asked him to increase their faith 
So he's saying, if you have faith as a mustard seed, in another parable, he says that locked up within a mustard seed is the potential to grow into a tree that is big enough for the birds of the air to come and build their nests in and provide shade and food. And so I think what he's saying is, if you've got faith, even if you've only got a small bit of faith, there is the potential for that to grow. And then he carries on and he tells another story. He says, if you've got a man working in the field, he says, at the end of the day, when he comes in, you don't say to him, sit down, have a rest. He says, you tell him to get in the bathroom, wash himself up, get in the kitchen, cook your dinner, serve you. And you say, and he says, and when he's done everything that you want him to do, you then let him rest. Now, I think that story is a continuation of the answer to increase our faith. And he's saying, if you want to increase your faith, a little bit of faith, it doesn't matter where you start, it matters where you finish. And you might feel like you only have a little bit to start with, but if you use what you've got and keep using what you've got and keep using what you've got, it has potential to grow. And I often liken that to a muscle. You know, I went to the gym a few years ago and, uh, you, you know, I decided I was going to get fit. And my friend and I went to the gym. We'd done all the training. And uh, the first day we're going in to use the equipment without somebody there with us. And we're looking around, deciding where we're going to start. And in walks this guy. Well, probably you're all old enough. Charles Atlas sort of guy. You know, he had muscles on muscles where you, I didn't even know you had muscles to start off with. And he walked over to this machine where you sit down and you've got these things and you pull like this. And he put his pin in the bottom. So he was lifting all the weights. And he looked at my friend and I, I went, and they went, and he lifted all the weights three times. The perspiration was pouring off him. He got off, got up and looked at us two and walked out of the room. And it was like the, the muscle man on the beach kicking sand in your eyes, you know, when you're the pathetic weed, you know. And I said to my mate, I can do that. He only did it three times. So I put my pin in the bottom and I put my arms up and I went. And I they didn't move a millimeter. My friend eventually said, stop. All the blood vessels have come to your face. You're going to burst a blood vessel. And I had to stop. And I realized that I didn't, hadn't ever worked my muscles, so I had no strength in them. Jesus said, have a sober judgment of yourself and move within the measure of faith that you've been allotted. I moved that pin up about 10 weights before I found one that I could actually lift it at. But I started to lift it. And as the weeks went by, I was able to move that pin further and further down. And that's what I believe Jesus is saying when he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, he's saying mm -hmm. what I've given you, the gift of faith I gave you to get saved has great potential. And if you will use it within the measure of your faith, mm -hmm. and I think that's the important thing, because often people who've never prayed for anyone will go straight in at the deep end and pray for the terminal cancer patient. And when nothing happens and that person dies, they damage their faith. You know, just like if I would carried on that day trying to lift the muscle, that weight, I would have damaged my muscles and my body. They damage their faith. So at that point, they back off. Mm -hmm. 
and then they seek to make their experience fit the word of God rather than the word of God fit their experience. Sorry, the other way around. Yeah, you know what I mean, though, don't you? So they, they because they damaged their faith, they didn't start where they were. You know, and you can move a mountain by speaking to it, or you can move it one shovel full at a time. And even now, I meet circumstances where and situations where my faith isn't great enough to deal with them instantly. So I was, I'm always talking to the Lord, well, where do I start? You know, if this person's terminally ill, can I pray that they'll be more comfortable? Can I pray that they'll have less pain? And in seeing those victories, my faith grows. Failure causes your faith to be damaged, but victories causes your faith to grow. So when I come back to a place where I can be in faith and I pray in that place and I see a victory, the next thing I pray for is bigger. And then if I see another victory, the next thing I pray for is, you know, when I started praying for the sick, I prayed for my own headaches. I determined I'm no longer going to have faith with Fenzik. You know, that was the painkiller of the day. You know, I decided I will not take any painkillers anymore. So I'm going to believe God for my own health in the area of headaches. And that's what I did. And as I succeeded in that area i believe for greater things i broke my arm one day and i i could feel the bones moving around i spoke to a nurse in our office and i said i've just fallen over i think i've broken my arm and uh, she felt in she said yeah there's definitely something wrong you need to go to the hospital i thought no i'm not i'm going to believe god and i believe god for that arm and two days later there was no movement in the bones it was completely fine thank you wow lovely well if faith comes by hearing Yes. Thank you for what you shared, Tim, because it will be provoking faith in us. Amen. So as we transition now, first of all, I want to thank you. Thank you both. But um, would you pray for those of us that need prayer, whether that's for healing or for anything else? Um, we want to stand in the gap for David Damp here and David Strutt. Um, any of you, perhaps if you just put your hand up if you need healing yourself or there's someone, and we'll ask Tim and Kim to just pray for us. Mm. First of all, that we will have faith ourselves to pray, but also to pray for those people who we love. And uh, we just want to see God move and, and do, do his work in their life. So, Tim and Kim, would you take us on? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, Father. Mm. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. Yes, thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for your son, that he won the victory over sickness and pain and disease that by his stripes we are healed. Yes. And, Father, we speak to these, both these situations of the David's Lord. We speak and take authority over the discomfort and the damage that is in their bodies, Father, and we speak health to them now in Jesus' name. Lord, everything that is causing the pain and discomfort, we take authority over it now. And in Jesus' name, we say to their bodies, be healthy yes. and be yes. strong yes. for the life of God to be manifest and for healing 
to be manifest in their bodies, even now, Lord, wherever they are. May they know your health touching them. And, Father, for everybody else on this Zoom call now, Lord, if you're unwell, I'd encourage you just to put your hand on the part of the body that is diseased or is, is causing you discomfort. And just believe that as you lay, it says we will lay our hands on the sick yes. and they will recover. Yes, thank you, Lord. And believe as your hand is on your body in that area, oh. that the power of God as a son or a daughter of the living God, you are a prince or a princess in his kingdom. Yes, thank you, Lord. And you have authority in his kingdom to speak yes. to this damage disease yes. virus sickness whatever it is now in jesus name and i we just join our confession with yours yes Lord. and we say in jesus name be healed yes we take authority over every work of the enemy in your life that would seek to steal kill and destroy you yes. and we say in jesus name be healthy no longer do we tolerate the works of the enemy yes but we say to your bodies be healthy and whole yes may god's kingdom come and his will be done in this earth that we have our hands on right now yes and health and wholeness be manifest in jesus name yes amen 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 Amen. Thank you, Tim and Kim. Yes. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, for Chris. Your- can I just mention our healing school? Oh, of course. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, we are about to start an online healing school. It's we've run healing schools in churches and with groups of people all around the country, in fact, all around the world. Um, but we're launching an online version of that, uh, which will in that people, if you sign up to it, you'll be enabled to uh, download. Uh, three teachings a month and then each month Kim and I are going to do an online mentoring session where you can come online and ask any questions or where we can uh, discuss things together you can share testimonies we're also starting a, a Facebook group for people that have attended the school so that that you can share it your experiences and testimonies and uh, your successes and your failures so that you know we can grow and learn from one another so if you're interested in that go to TK Ministries org and you can find up a sign up sheet on that to join it so yeah thank you chris Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, oh if you, you do that you also get a copy of the book for free well, <laughs> you, pay, you don't get it for free you get it as part of the course it's included in the cost of the course so if you're thinking of doing the buying the book you might want to do the course as well because you'll get the book included and the teaching yeah.